0: Let's have a word of prayer. We'll get started tonight. Our Father, we are grateful that you have given us uh, this day to be able to live and breathe and by your grace to honor you. And we do pray that as we are here together tonight, that we would do just that. That in the midst of a busy day or in the midst of frustrations in the day or whatever may have come our way, I pray that you will give us the ability, the grace, the help from you to put those things aside so that we will see the process, the wonderful process you have us in in the lives of others in bringing them to Christ. So God, guide us tonight, we pray, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I always wonder, but I rarely ask, if you did your homework. And I don't expect, like I've said before, I give you that half sheet, which they're there for today when you leave. It's mainly to keep us all on the same page, Uh, not just literally, but not having to go through everything but tonight we're talking about evangelism as a process no problem I'll, i'll admit when i first read the title to this chapter i thought i knew what it was going to be about and i thought wrong as soon as i started looking at it because when we think of when i think of evangelism as a process the first thing i thought about was we think of somebody gets saved at the point of salvation so like for example Uh, For by grace are you saved through faith, and we'll, we'll look at that as a past tense thing. Whereas in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it talks about, Paul literally is saying, those of you who are being saved. And we're like, well, being saved. Okay, either you get saved, but there's no being saved. Like you go through a couple courses and finally you're in the club. But the whole point of Paul saying that is, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, the way that he worded it there was, you have been saved through grace. Literally, it's a, it's an idea of something to happen in the past, but the results carry on. But in 1 Corinthians 1, it is, you are being saved. So how is it that we either got saved, or we are being saved. And I just po- I just pose that to you because if you ever read 1 Corinthians and you read that first chapter, you're like, why is it translated that way? Being saved. So any thoughts on that? Because I'm just jumping off on a quick rabbit trail before we jump into our lesson. You're like... What word says that? It's like, that wasn't in our book. Right, that's a great question. And that's where when you, when you rabbit trail, you got to be ready to handle rabbit trail, let me pull up the verse, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I want to say it's around verse 18, and now that I say that too, the tricky part will be some of the translations will translate it differently, so let's see how the ESV translates that, yeah, it says our being saved, verse 18, verse 18, You're right. okay, yes, for the, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved is the power of God, Why would Paul, in one place, seem to talk about it as a past tense thing, but here seems like this is an ongoing thing? Okay, And I'll just answer it as simply as I possibly can, because that's where we could read these two verses and go, hey, something's not right. Well, it is positionally. When you and I, we put our faith in Christ, it happened in the past, but if we are truly saved, the results continue on. But the idea of being saved isn't just we pray the prayer, we become a Christian. Remember, becoming a child of God is a process, as pastor has preached, a process of transformation. We are being saved. We have been justified. Someday we will be glorified. We are in the glorification process right now. That's what we call, so you got justified, glorified, glorified. Right smack in the middle, the hardest part of the Christian life is being sanctified. Alright? That is the being saved. That doesn't mean that we are becoming more of a Christian. It means that we are becoming more like Christ. Alright. So I just say that as that was my my sidebar uh, related to this evangelism as a process, because that was my first thought. That's not what this is talking about. As if you were able to read any of it, you did get. The fact that this is talking about that unlike what I've said, what I've said before in the past is it's not a system. It is in everybody's life a process of how God brings us to faith in Christ. And it's different. But I, I start with this. This was a quote that was probably about two-thirds of the way through the article that was in the book this week. And I just throw this up here, something to think about. Something really neat to think about that we don't often think about. And I think they put it really well. Won't it be thrilling to get to heaven and discover all the people who came to God because of a seed you sowed when you didn't even know you were sowing? In other words, we think in terms of what we call a soul winning, sharing the gospel, bringing someone to faith in Christ. We think in terms of I'm an epic failure because I haven't seen that happen many times. So I, I'm, I'm not gifted in this area, so I just kind of throw in the towel. But if we understand this process we're going to look at tonight scripturally, this is going to be the neat thing. And honestly, I think there may be a measure where God doesn't allow us to see the results. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Why would you think God may not always want us to see the results of our sharing our faith with somebody else? What could be one reason why? Yeah, pride. Steph. Yeah, pride. Because then we go, and I mean, we've, we've taken the personal evangelism course, and we've learned the system, we worked the system, it worked. Wow, look what I did. You know, I'm in the Timothy Award, all right? Um, and, and so in a sense, there may be a beauty to this that a lot of the fruit that we see is going to be indirect fruit that we don't get to be the person there harvesting that fruit Uh, it may be that we are the planter the water the cultivator whatever the case may be but this is neat to think because i give you one little snippet illustration from china that i heard that always kept in my mind for the eight years we were there Uh, somebody and i if i've told the story in this class first semester sorry i'm just repeating it hopefully not But I remember um, that first year we were there, and I had 400-plus students at my university, and I'm like, how in the world do you have a relationship with 45 kids in a class times all these classes? You don't, um, because they got names like Snow and Winter and whatever name they've come up with, and and most of them didn't have English names, so every class I'm giving them English names from people I've worked on staff at Inner City with every class, so I had to get to know them. But I remember hearing the story our first year of how... Somebody had come to faith in Christ in China and a teacher had simply shared with the class, said to them, did I tell this story first semester? Okay, I'm just looking to see for those first semester people that for whatever reason came back for double dose. Um, a teacher said to these Chinese students in the class, said there was the, the most famous person in the world said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And just kind of laid out that idea but never identified who it was. Well, you know, college students, particularly in China, just like in America, but particularly curious Chinese students, they want to figure out who is this person. And that person found out it was Jesus Christ, which led that person to want to find more, dig more, and that person came to faith in Christ. I give that illustration in light of this, and that is, I don't know out of the 400-plus students that I interacted with, some that I still have their emails and interact eight years later at times, I don't know if anything connected, but I do know this. Three different times, 400 students heard a portion of the gospel via Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter. So I know every one of them heard it. Whether or not God does something with it, I don't know. But that's where we are in life now. We may not be the person who is just has the ability to take an opportunity with somebody, turn that conversation from friendliness right to the gospel, and then suddenly you're praying the prayer and you're walking out of the coffee shop arm in arm and you're both Christians now. All right, that sounds really great in the book, but that's not the process. So I start with that because that's really where I think most of us will be, the majority of us will be, is, and and whether or not we will identify them, whether or not we will see them, I don't know because I kind of doubt it because the center of attention in heaven Is not us and what we did doing that. It's those that are there with Christ because he's the center. So that is the reality of what does happen for us. So tonight we're looking at evangelism as a process. Our verses that I've I've wanted to keep in front of us all throughout this time, uh, through these weeks, I'll just simply read them and ask one question. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Here's how we pray at the same time. Pray also for us did God in any way for you this past week open a door for the Word? And I don't mean that you just got to share the whole gospel with somebody. That could be, but maybe something that came up in a conversation that pointed toward Christ, toward your Christian life, toward whatever. I mean, that's what I look at as opening a door for the Word. I don't think that simply means, you know, Paul is saying God opens a door and you get to go through the Romans road. Uh, that's not what he's saying. Um, but that being said, anybody at all? have that happened for them this past week and this is where i hate to ask a question like that because in the peer pressure could be like i should raise my hand and now i know it, next week i need to be ready
1: i actually did okay I, I actually did and your wife actually helped me with that away because a christian up in your wife's office had said something very derogatory about the girls in my office mm-hmm. and they said right away they said doesn't she go to your church and i said well no she doesn't but she does go to a church and she does profess to be a Christian just like me but and I and it gave me an opportunity to talk with them a, about that whole scenario and how we do try to as Christians and I mean I'm talking to unsaved people saying that you know I I do I try to live the same way that I speak you know I and and it was and it didn't give the plan of salvation but it was amazing what I did get to say in that moment
0: yeah to and, two girls and even that understand what she did was, in a sense, Christianity damage control. But in so doing, if we do the damage control right, we don't just say, well, yeah, that's just a a bunch of people at that church. We take that and say, yes, but here's how Scripture says we ought to be if we are a child of God. That is an open door for the Word. So we don't have to view it simply as somebody comes to you and says, you know what, I'm having a rough life, and I, I, I'm looking for more out of life. And I know you go to church, tell me about your church well, Yeah, those are nice to get those But often it's other situations Anybody else? That's great Thank you I was able to tell this unsafe guy I work with In Florida, that we're still friends We communicate on Facebook And we're trying to coordinate
1: like getting lunch and dinner together uh-huh. And we're talking And he's like, oh we can do something on Wednesday And like, I was like, oh well actually We're going, we're going to see some friends and stuff At our church that we went to here and he's like, oh you still do that? you know and it was just like one day at work in Florida Florida, I was like the only Christian in the office and I'd bring my guitar to work because I'd play music for the youth group on Wednesday nights and so they're all like oh you got church tonight church boy you got to go you know I'd leave early to go to church and so he remembered that and it was just like you know every now and then like he'll like comment on like some spiritual things that are like online Facebook or something or like ask me questions but it was cool that we had a chance to talk about church
0: for just a second yeah, and see, still remember that. that is the bridge that still is open. The bridge is still there. And that is that happens because, yes, sometimes it starts up derogatory. It's like, you know, church boy and you know, altar boy, whatever they want to call you. But how we react to it determines whether we keep that door open or not. Um, that really is is the key. So obviously, how he reacted in the interaction made it so that, hey, 1,200 miles away now, there's still conversations, even though this guy doesn't really care but it's a bridge. And it could be then with that situation, that situation, in this evangelism as a process, that when that guy suddenly hits the wall in life, whatever that wall may be, or that person who is in the middle of that little messy thing goes, hey, you know what? But that person handled it differently. Then I'm gonna think through this differently. <clears throat> <laughs> I just, I just figured I'd do the awkward pause and let it go I figured i do it too, that was the worst part All right. So, you know, that's where tonight we're talking about evangelism as a process That's what God has us doing And that's really what we're looking at And here's, as you look underneath Overview the Issue on page 3.1 you look at uh, the, the bullet point number one and number three i know they're not numbered but the first bullet point the third one says discover this is what we're looking at in this issue just briefly saying this discover that conversion normally comes as a part of a process of being drawn to god over a period of time in other words god is working in people's lives little by little by little and you if you are willing are a part of that process or Let's just be honest. We can be a part of the hindrance to that process. Hopefully we're sitting in this class or standing here because we don't want to be a hindrance to that. We want to be used by God. Now that doesn't, you know, and I don't assume that if people come to this class, they come to this class and go, you know, I'm just not good at sharing the gospel. Let's just be honest. 98%, 99% aren't good at it. And what is good at it anyhow? at the end of the day, even if you, once you think you're good at it, suddenly you might be taking God out of the equation by thinking that because suddenly you're leaning on you. So it is a process and here's a third bullet point. Evaluate where in the process of coming to Christ the unbelievers around us might be and that is friend on the internet from down in Florida, people at work, people in your neighbors, how have they responded, what was their initial reaction when they found out you're church lady or church man or whatever they called you or you know, you know, they might have done the, oh, you're one of them, and they just go cold on you, and that's the end of it. Well, it's not the end of it. Um, that's where going cold, then, we start to try to chip away the ice and some of the things they're going to suggest in this chapter. So let's, let's start digging into that. I asked you if you happened to do that and, and uh, the sound bites here. Um, matter of fact, let's just hit these questions, because I want to give you like a one-word answer to these questions if we could. So let's go to grasping the issue. Here's the key question, but I want to throw up some responses to this. First question says, what process do most people experience before coming to the point of okay, placing their faith in Christ? What process do they... Oh, I know what I was trying to think on that. What process... <laughs> I just lost my spot. What process... So think around this room, think for yourselves, in a sense. What process do most people experience before coming to the place of, point of placing their faith in Christ? And the word that came to my mind is different. For each of us, that process often is different. If we had the time, we don't have the time. We went around the room and shared our story of when we were first exposed to the gospel and then when we became a Christian. I mean, you want an interesting story? Sit and listen to Jean Orsaga sometime of how God brought her to faith in Christ. She grew up in a Muslim home. Her Muslim father sent her to Sunday school. And she got the gospel and became a Christian. How amazing is that? And and there's way more to that story that she can share with you. Um, So why did her father do that? Lord only knows because he never embraced it, right? Um, So don't know why. But that was the beginning of the process. That is all of us. We have different stories of how that was. Maybe our parents, we grew up. And I was going to church before I knew what church was. I was, you know, there's nothing like having old ladies at inner city my former church telling me yeah I took care of you in the nursery I'm like okay mental picture there and I was a man okay yeah (laughs) thank you but no thanks all right and so yeah everybody has a different story of how that process is here's the second question is the process the same for everyone and this is an easy yes or no no it's not the same Um, it's different how do we know where someone is in the process Hmm. that's a good question What's that? How receptive they are. Yeah. I mean, how receptive they are. And and here's even the part that can throw us. People can seem to be receptive because they like relationship. They're not as concerned about Christianity as much as, hey, this is a common bond thing, and I found that I got a relationship through this. And they might just be a lonely person. They're not really looking, but even that becomes a tricky part. Are they really receptive? We can find some people that can seem like stone walls, but they're just hiding the insecurity of they know we're right, but they don't want to admit we're right with what we've shared with them. All right. Then the last question: What role can we play in a person's movement toward a relationship with Christ? And here's the words I put for that, and that is these words: Be careful. And that is What role can we play in a person's movement toward a relationship with God? And that goes back to the whole systems of sharing the gospel and drawing the net and whatever all these little books have been about how we can get people saved. Yes, God is using us to bring them along, but we have to be careful that we don't lean heavily on our ability and our thoughts and our system to make that happen because at that point, then we start to factor God out. Now, if you flip the page, <clears throat> matter of fact, let's do this. One more thing before we flip the page. Sound bites. Um, first two, I had said do number two and three, but I, I've changed my mind here under the sound bites. First one, uh, I'm just curious uh, how many of you would relate to this. I'm no good at evangelism. And I don't mean necessarily the second sentence, but the first sentence it says, I'm no good at evangelism. I've never had anyone pray to receive Christ with me. Now I'm not asking you to respond to that second statement, because that may be an awkward one, because it's like, who wants to admit that? And and it's gonna be really hard to be honest here, you know? So let's stick with the first one. Have you ever felt like, I'm no good at evangelism? All right, how many is in that club? My hand is up, all right? This is not like me trying to prime the pump. My hand's up, okay. Absolutely, because we often measure that in terms of our personality, our ability to deliver, or people's receptivity to us, or just the fact that maybe like me and like many here, we grew up in church, and so there are there are very few relationships seemingly outside of church because of that. So then I feel like yes, the fish out of water trying to connect with those folks when I'm not a natural talk with people kind of person to begin with. So that makes it even harder. Alright? So we're looking at that statement all the way back to what we started with this is the neat part and that is what if when we get to heaven we find and God would identify for us those people there are there will be those people because of your life that will be in heaven because there was something said done spoken encouraged lived, whatever they saw they might have just seen you interacting with your kids at work you did something for a neighbor that nobody else would ever do, especially that neighbor because nobody liked that neighbor, but you did something for that neighbor. That sort of thing will be what God uses. So let's jump over to the Scriptures because I distracted us a little bit at the beginning. We'll skip we'll skip the case study. Matter of fact, there was a question that they asked, so I'll give my answer for what it's worth. The issue question Each time, before it lets you get into the scriptures and get into the article and then interact with the uh, discussion questions, it asks, what is the central issue or the central question before us? So my answer for what it's worth department, um, this is what I try to answer as I was thinking through before I read it. And that is this. What are the normal processes people go through when they come to Christ? And how can God use me in this process? So in other words, I'm trying to think through As I see people who have come to Christ, I'm trying to think through what are some of the things I've seen happen when they came to Christ, and maybe even from hearing people's stories, one of the things I have heard over and over again is they didn't come to faith in Christ because people knocked on the door and handed them a track and walked away. Now, that's not to say that doesn't work. That's not my point. My point is a very low percentage of people have done that. A much higher percentage will be those who have had a person who is a friend to them, built a relationship with them, and through that relationship came to faith in Christ. As I said before, it's it's much easier to do the pull the pin on a hand grenade, throw it in the door, and walk away and say, God, save that person. I did my part. Um, but the messier or time-consuming part is people are going through a process and how can God use me in this process or and this is what we're going to get into in, in, in our article is am I letting myself be too busy too full of myself my life so that I don't even see these people around me as lost anymore I don't I just see them either as annoyances uh interruptions um uh, reasons to want to stay in my house and not be around them, or reasons to want to stay in my office and shut them out, or reasons to turn my music up louder on my headphones, you know, whatever it may be, you know, you can be on the plane and you hear all all the stories of people who share the gospel with the person next to them on the plane, but then there may be the rest of us like, but I'm tired, and I deserve a break today, so I'm putting my headphones in, and if they ask me a question, I'll share the gospel, but right now, I like to just go comatose with my music, you know. Well there's nothing wrong with that I'm not trying to guilt us But that's where we're looking at all those opportunities So here's what we see from the Gospels Particularly uh, from Jesus' ministry how did, how did he in his life His interaction with people show this process So let's go to the scriptures John chapter 4 There on page 3.2 We have the story of Jesus And it's him with the Samaritan woman But it's at the very end of the story Um, The disciples have gone away into town Obviously they had to go quite a ways to get the food They were gone for quite some time Jesus is talking with the woman in Samaria At the well Having this amazing conversation And you know, obviously he was tired He was thirsty I don't even know that she ever gave him a drink Even though that's what he asked her for And it turned into this theological conversation And then when the disciples show up with food They're ready to eat And let's eat it's time to eat it's past time to eat and here's what Jesus says to them in verse 32 I have food to eat that you know nothing about then his disciples said to each other can could someone have brought him food my food said Jesus is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work do not say four months more uh, do you not say four months more and then the harvest in other words he's saying, Naturally, in an agricultural society, that's what we would say. I mean, he's talking in terms of what farmers would say. Don't you say that four months we've planted, four months later we expect to harvest? Yes. But he's saying, but now, it's not a matter of let's wait for the future. He's saying, now is the time to plant, and now is the time to harvest. So unlike the agricultural picture, he says, now's that time. Then he goes on to verse 36, and he says this, Even now the reaper draws his wages... Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. All right, so this is an incredibly powerful chapter on so many different levels. I mean, so many things are said in John chapter 4. But go to page 3.3 at the top of that page. Alright, there's a question there that I just ask you to think about. Alright, if, if you can remember. I know that you're you're listening to me, perhaps just read those scriptures for the first time tonight, and you're getting your mind from wherever work was, life was, and everything else, and then Jesus says, Hey, I my food isn't that food you brought. I've got something better. But here's something even better that I want you to understand. We're in this together. Well, here's the question it asks at the top of this page that I, I threw to you for the homework. What can we learn about Jesus' passion and love for lost people? How can we develop that kind of love in our lives? So if you put answers, you can help me. But here's here's the questions again. How can we learn from... And they're asking this question in light of these verses we just read. So we're just getting a snippet of the whole story. But obviously, it's an unusual snippet. The first half of the story was Jesus talking with an unsaved person. Now, the snippet is Jesus talking with his disciples, who at that point, I don't know that all of them were fully convinced of the gospel. You know, we don't know when they all became believers. Obviously, Judas didn't, but there were plenty of times that they still weren't getting it. So when they all became. They followed Jesus. Did they understand it all? In time, at least 11 of them did. So if we look at that and we say, okay, I would like to be like what Jesus said. I would like it to be that more than eating, more than recreation, more than rest, more than disconnecting, more than whatever makes us happy, I have a passion and love for lost people. What is it that we can see from Jesus that did that for Him that can do that for us? really good and here's how i put it and that's exactly the idea i wrote down slowing down to see others around me can grow my love for others he lived in the moment and that is he wasn't so busy going about doing all these other things and thinking about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing he lived in the moment but i just simply wrote in terms of how do i think that through for myself slowing down to see others around me will i shouldn't say will can my love I can still see people around me and go, yeah, okay, whatever, and then move on. So obviously that could still go wrong. But the issue is living in a moment, slowing down. Jesus was at a standstill, talking with this lady. There was nothing else going on. And you know, here's here's the goofy thing. It's like all the all the articles about disconnecting with their phones, you know, whatever. It happens. I sat, you know, in coffee shops in China, and it'd be a table with Chinese people. And I'll be doing this, looking at this, and, and nobody's talking. I'm like, really? But that's just where it is. But when it comes to connecting with people, that means disconnecting with everything else when we slow down so that we can connect. What else? Yeah, Jill. Uh um, it's
1: to. So we can stop to do that about happens, but yeah. it's kind of like that person maybe you've left late because God wanted you to stop and
0: help the person. Absolutely. So. And and honestly, you know, what you're saying is putting ourselves in a position like Jesus was put in a position to see a need and respond to a need. But if everything is breakneck speed I go from this to this to this to this to this and uh, and again there's a measure where our work and our culture dictates that and we have to fight against it I mean we have to make legitimate we have to make not legitimate we have to make uh, individual decisions in advance to make that happen Uh, in other words here's maybe a way that I wrote disconnecting from my desires to care for others needs will grow my love for others in other words if I say all right I want to do this and this and, and you're right Jill how many times have we been like, uh, we see something happen by the side of the road, and I bet I'm going to be late for church? What's wrong with that statement? You know, we see somebody by the side of the road. And, and, again, that doesn't mean that we should just feel guilty and stop for everything because then we've been told by everybody, you don't want to stop by, some, by the side of the road because somebody's scamming, and they're going to they're they're acting like they're broke down, and then they're going to rob you. So we've got those stories in our head, you know. So, you know, then you're like, we'll get these dot trucks driving around. I'll let them do it right yeah but if i see somebody and and again it's a different thing for us guys all right if i see somebody that their car stalled and they're trying to push the car by themselves crying out loud man get out of the car let them hop in the car help push the car so they're not going to get run over but everybody's just slowing down looking and there used to be a time when christians were known for before social security and the government stepping in it was the church that helped the community at large now people don't, assume, people don't assume the church is ever going to help. They assume the government's going to help and the church is going to take. In other words, that's why people say, I don't go to church because they take my money, but the government gives me money, especially if Democrats are in power. You know, That's just how it is. So when we look at Jesus, part of it is slowing down in the moment to see people around us in a way that causes us to maybe... And that doesn't mean we have to stop and then just automatically the share of the gospel. Maybe it's just we pause to pray for them and say, God, open that door. If there's an open door now, help me to be alert to it, to see it. Help me to slow down enough to see it. Or then the other thing is disconnecting from all my expectations that some of them, you know, plenty of them are not sinful expectations, but they've become so important that they cause us to miss the most important things. It's the what they used to say in the 1980s, the tyranny of the urgent. And that is, you know, everything becomes urgent and so it controls everything about us rather than the important. The importance is what drives us, and is what scripture says. All right. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is probably the one we know the most when we think about evangelism as a process. This is when Paul was addressing the Uh, the Christian church which really was anything but a model church it was a church with lots of problems Um, but one of their problems was and here's where people were like well you know I was saved under Apollos I was saved under Paul I was saved under Peter Jesus everything else and that's going back to chapter one this issue is already brought up but Paul then comes back to this issue here in chapter three and here's what he says in verse five what after all is Apollos. And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither is he who plants, nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building." Alright, so just without even jumping to the questions I gave you, what is your gut reactions to what he is saying there that we need to take away from what he just said relating to evangelism as a process? What's some quick takeaways? Doing it for God. Say again? You're doing it for God. Okay, you're doing it for God. What else? can go both ways. Worrying about other people can be, I don't do it as well as them, so then I go on the sideline and go, oh, they're the, they're the people with the gift of evangelism. But yes, there is that gift in Scripture. That means somebody perhaps is used in a more significant way, but we are all commanded to give the Great Commission and make disciples so we can't go, oh, I don't have that. Sorry. Can't go there. Alright? So, that's what we got to consider as well. What else? What other takeaways? Bill? Well, if we're aware and we're looking for opportunities. Sometimes you're
1: going to plant the seed, and that's all you're going to get to do. Other times you're going to nurture it and water it, and sometimes you're going to
0: reap harvest it. you can do all of it. Absolutely. Possibly. In other words, God could have you at different points on the continuum with different people. Your response... In your work situation, in your neighborhood, in your home, wherever you may be, your response to people, how you act, how you react, could be a means of watering a seed that's already been planted, or could be a means of drought in that seed. In other words, somebody gave them the gospel, and, and they got a good look at you, and I'm just saying that facetiously, good look at one of us as a Christian going, wow, you know what? Don't want that, because... I mean, i got to go to church, i got to give up sleeping in on Sunday and cough up some money, and that guy's no different than me or that girl's no different than me. So, yeah, part of our watering may be not simply that, well, I gave them another verse. We think that. We think I shared more of the gospel. Some of that may be in how we live the gospel as well as what we share with it. Good. What else? Anything else? Because here's the questions, all right? Um, it says, the first question I asked you to do in these two questions on uh, this, these verses are, what does this passage reveal about evangelism as a process? You've already answered part of that. How should that influence our approach to evangelism? If we realize that evangelism is a process, how does that affect our thinking then? I mean, give me some, how, how should that affect our thinking? Phyllis? It
1: it. It ha- it could have a tendency to not overwhelm us so much with you know having to have the whole picture all at once. We just have a little piece right. of work to do in the moment, right then. Um, whatever it is, whether it's whether it's living by example, whether it is sharing the word, whether it is um, revealing the truths of God's word by the you know the way we behave towards them.
0: Right. So what we're saying, then, is we don't have to feel frustrated or discouraged. We can say, thank you, Lord, for that opportunity to do what you gave me to do. Now, that that can be, again, everything can be a two-edged sword. It can be like, okay, I just kind of did the wimpy thing and said a couple things and walked away. I'm not talking about that, but I am saying, like you're saying, and that is God gives us this opportunity and... We step forward with it and realize that we're on different points of it, and maybe this is the simple part of, I just told them, I go to church. And now they're going to be watching your life to see, oh, are you a good church person or a bad church person? Because they've seen plenty of bad church persons, now they're going to see if you're a different church person. What else about the process? We think of evangelism as a process.
1: Did you realize it's on God's time?
0: That is, when we think about it, it rarely is evangelism a quick endeavor, okay? When we followed systems of evangelism, it gave us the impression it is a quick endeavor, and the people who don't do it quickly don't have faith and don't have the gift of evangelism. Well, let's just look at this passage and so many others to see that it takes time, it's a process, And it's a process that all of us are involved in. The question is, are we going to follow God's timetable or ours? That means we can be encouraged, like Phyllis is saying. We can be encouraged knowing, God, you gave me the door. And the door wasn't that I got to go through the whole Romans road, or I got to go through this track or whatever. It may be that I simply got to show, this is how a Christian responds to that crisis in this moment in front of my unsaved friends who I've been praying for. That can be a door for the word because they're going to go, wow, that's something I've never seen before, and I want to know why. Why in the world you just found out that your little boy or little girl or whatever has leukemia and you're responding that way? I mean, and I've known people like that. I've known friends like that—a friend that, whose son passed away from leukemia. When he was almost three, and they created a track that they used for years. I have a track in my file somewhere for little Charlie. People watch that. Now, does that mean that that will automatically mean lots of people will come to faith in Christ? No, I think, but that will open a huge door for the Word that gives them that opportunity. So when we think of the process, we have to remember that it's rarely a quick endeavor, it's time frame, but also remember that central to this process is God, not us. Because that's what Paul was saying here. It's God that gives the increase. Yeah, Paul's watered I planted, whatever. It doesn't matter who did what, because here's what he said. So neither, this is verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. All right, that's kind of blunt. That's just a a positive way of saying you ain't nothing. Now, that's not what God is saying. He's not saying you ain't nothing, you're junk, all right, this kind of stuff. But what it is saying, at the end of the day, it's what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and the last verse says, that all of the gospel, the foolishness of the cross, bringing people to faith in Christ is so that he receives the glory. He receives the honor for it. And that's what's going to happen when we see that process. Now, here's the second question Applying Paul's principle, how can the process of leading people to Christ involve differing roles among a variety of people? And this may be a little trickier, so I'm just going to give two quick answers to this question and we'll move on to the next scripture. In other words, when we take this principle, of evangelism as a process, and that we are involved in that process. How can the process of leading people to Christ involve differing roles among a variety of people? <clears throat> Anybody put any answers down to that? I don't want to assume you didn't. Yeah, Jenny, go ahead.
1: Um, because everybody has different strengths, um, and and, and uh, gifts, spiritual gifts. Um, I think that as they hit them at different points, they might be challenged by one person. Mm-hmm. Uh and then for, you know, as they become more curious, they might come across somebody else who has more knowledge about mm-hmm. Christianity, mm-hmm. and then as they get that knowledge, then maybe they're curious about the love of Christ, and so they, they, they happen to run across a, a follower who is just you know, so compassionate, just so, you know, is able to show Christ's love so well, right. you know? and so in, in all these different spiritual gifts and all these different people,
0: they're able to see and they're able to coach Christ that way because... Absolutely. And, and I would take that and put that under one category what she just said, the word encouragement. All right. So here's the encouragement from that process. God will use each of us, but often in different ways because of the way we are, the, the opportunities He's given us. So we don't just sit back and go, I can't do this, I'm no good at this. Yeah, because God has made us differently and given us different opportunities, we can be encouraged He's going to use us no matter what we think we can do or can't do because ultimately he's the one that does it. Um, He says, you are the one, go back to verse 5, who's Apollos, who's Paul, only servants through whom you came to believe. That's all we are. We are servants. We're nothing. We're not really anything. But that's not like God is slapping down our self-esteem. That's a whole other issue. It's God helping us to see the right perspective. He's the one that brought us to faith in Christ. He's the one that will bring everyone to faith in Christ. But he wonderfully uses us in that process. Here's one more word I use so we can move on. The word humility. All right? And that is, my response was, no one's role or ability is most important. All right. The encouragement is, all of us can do that. All right. And I realize I need to jump to the scripture there. All of us can be involved in that, but when we come to realizing The other encouragement is in the humility side. No one's role is more important than the other person. So, depending on whether I was the planter, the waterer, or the reaper. Now, of the planting, the watering, the reaping, which do we often think is the most important? Reaping. Oh yeah, that's like the easiest answer of the night for Grandma. You know, that's the one that everybody woke up on at eight o'clock. You know, the reaping, because it looks like that's when we really lead somebody to faith in Christ. That's when it happens. Well, the point of this lesson is it's happening. But in that moment, in God's grace, not because of our slick communication abilities, God, by faith, the gift of faith, opens our eyes to see the light of the gospel, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, Second Corinthians 4 says. Prior to that, they were blinded by Satan and could not see. Matter of fact, would not see if God doesn't intervene. But we're in that process. All right? Jump. One more text. We're not even going to read it all because it's really long, and I'll give you the gist of the story, and then we're going to move on uh, to finish up uh, getting into our article, consulting other sources. Here is the story of the man born blind from birth and this big uh, conversation back and forth. This poor blind man has been blind since birth. Jesus heals him, and the religious leaders pretty much smack him down when he tells them who healed him. And basically they, they, they arrogantly say, we have all the knowledge, and you've been nothing. And, and then we have this interaction of Jesus having reached out to this man, heals this man, comes this man comes back to him, not knowing at the time really who he was, quite frankly. And then, verse 35, it says this, down in the bottom of that box. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. Literally the word is where we get excommunicated, like from a church. They threw him out, out of the synagogue. And when he found him, and understand that, that wasn't just kicked him out of church. To be kicked out in that way was to be rejected socially, economically, everything. That was like the end of his social, economic life because of what they did. He says to this man, Do you believe in the Son of Man? This blind man who is now seeing says, Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Now, you say, well, how did he not know who he was? Well, if you read the story, if you remember the story, he put this on his eyes and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Well, Jesus wasn't there when he washed his eyes. Jesus was already gone, so he didn't know. He heard the voice, but he never saw him. Now, here's the question When we look at the process When we look at this, this connecting of Jesus To this blind man, blind from birth um, Here's the question that I ask you to try to answer Or to think through um, And here's, here's part of what it says underneath that big box It says, this account, this story Is a powerful example of the Savior at work Showing practical love and concern for ordinary people So that's kind of a hint toward our answer this question at the bottom of page 3.4 Despite the fact that we don't have the power to heal like Jesus And we don't What principle can we borrow from his example? So in what he did in this story What can we pull out of this story That shows us something about How he reached this man with the gospel And that's taking out the fact that he healed Alright We're not going to do it And we're, we're taking the miraculous out of the equation what is it that Jesus did That we can do That we ought to do, quite frankly Yes, Phyllis, go ahead He Rode
1: invested it. himself in people
0: Okay, he invested himself in people Here's the, here's the follow-up question to are answer What kind of people?
1: Sinners. 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 sinners
0: Okay, now the broad category, sinners Alright, let's narrow that broader category Down to the people of his day What kind of people of his day was he often speaking to And with? Poor people. What's that? Poor people. Poor people. What else? The outcast. outcast? I mean, these are the people that nobody wanted anything to do with. Because here's in John 9, remember John 4, he's with the woman of Samaria. The Jews literally would go around Samaria, even though it was the long way around, because they wanted nothing to do with them. And if you read John 4, it tells us that he had a reason. If you read the earlier part of that chapter, he had a reason for going through there. It wasn't just... It is a shortcut because it was a shortcut compared to the way the Jews normally went. It was for the purpose of sharing faith, that the truth with the Samaritan woman, who ran off and told all the all the men in their village about it as well. So here is a simple thing for us, um, and I just throw this out to you. I don't really say that there's inherently sinful or bad, but here's something to wrestle through. Often churches, in the last well, maybe for a long time, but at least in my lifetime, let's see. All right, last forty years that I remember, um, that I look at who have been promoted by churches. When you want to draw a crowd in to share the gospel, what kind of person do they bring? I don't mean evangelist, but I'm, I'm kind of fishing for an answer. What kind of person or persons do they bring in to get a crowd to share the gospel? How's that for question? What's that? Musicians. Okay, musicians. What, what, let's put it this way What caliber of people In other words If they want to get a crowd to come And hear the gospel And they bring somebody in What are the kind of people they bring in? Successful people Okay, successful people Sports figures Entertainment people People who have come to faith in Christ In other words Very um, well known people Celebrities Let's put it that way Now why do we do that? Okay, we want a big crowd to hear the gospel. Now, is that inherently wrong? Okay, it's not inherently wrong. Um, you know, we have at times uh, the Tiger, I don't know what this Tiger event is. What's the thing that community's gone to? I just got here. Home plate, home plate. Yeah, and I think that's with some of the Christian, t- the Tiger baseball players that are, that are Christians as well. Okay, that's great. You know, I don't, I'm not saying let's just throw that all out, that's all bad. But my point is saying our culture has magnified the people who are popular and well-known who come to faith in Christ with the idea that if we get them, more people will come to faith in Christ. Well, what that is saying without saying that is celebrity can help guarantee results. Um, popularity or this great person can help guarantee results when again what you just said in answer to this question from John 9 is Jesus avoided the celebrities of his day Jesus reached out to the people who most people would avoid who most people would think you know what that person is just weird strange um, you know what we have often thought you know, that person would make a great Christian you know why we think that? Because they got skill, they got money, they got something going on for them. And if we see somebody else that's goofed up, messed up, we don't think that way because we're already thinking how they can do something great at our church because they're that kind of person. When Jesus didn't do it that way, and was Jesus successful? Well, uh, of his twelve, the eleven ran away um, right at the moment when he's going to do what needed to be done and betrayed him. To see about that on March 21st and 22nd with the Living Last Supper. So I say that in terms of that doesn't mean we don't do things like home plate. All right, Those things can be good things in and of themselves. But if we make that become the thing, then we've missed the point of Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry was just the opposite. When the rich young ruler came to him, you read that sometime and you read the way it's described there. He came running, he kneeled. He asked the right question. He asked what the Philippian jailer basically said. What must I do to be saved? And Jesus went through some of the Ten Commandments, and he's like, got those nailed. Uh, but then he purposely left out some that would have nailed him, and once he did, he's like, he walked away. Well, in our culture, we would have said, that is fruit to be picked. All we got to do is, hey, pray the prayer. You, you're in. And, and yet Jesus... This was a popular man. This was a well-known man. This was a well-to-do man that could have been a great leader in the early church. But did he ever become a believer? I don't know. We do know this. He went away sad. And at that moment, there was no thought of taking that choice that Jesus threw out to him. So, that being said, let's jump into our article very quickly. Pre-Christians Everywhere interesting article because even that title Pre-Christians and we have five and a half minutes I do have a timer going on here because that's just beautiful little music starts and you think angels are coming it just means the class is over right? Pre-Christians everywhere and that means essentially for you and me everybody around us are a pre-Christian and that is they're a work in process um, they, they may be like the sower on the soil they may be somebody who Satan has or will, once they hear the truth, immediately snatch it away, and they will reject it all their life. They'll never accept it. Then there will be plenty of people who seem to buy into it, but they're not the real deal. Let's look at. Um, matter of fact, for sake of time, let's go to page 3.7, 3.7. There, there's two triangles, an upside down one and a right side up one, and it's talking about what we already saw in first. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 about sowing, cultivating, harvesting, reaping, whatever you want to call it, and the process of cultivating the soil, planting and fertilizing the seed and harvesting. So here's where phase one at the bottom of 3.7 says cultivating a relationship. And again, um how many of you, uh, this is a question quickly, how many of you got saved at a fairly young age as a Christian? How many of you in that category? So there's a number of these. So for many of us, uh, perhaps our relationships with unsaved people, other than co-workers perhaps, um, is very limited because of time with connecting in church. So how do we cultivate a relationship? We'll flip over to 3.8. Page 3.8. And I I just simply say this. um, you're on page 3.8. I'm going to read the bottom of page 3.7. It says, "If you want to tell people about the most important decision they'll ever make, and if you want to let, if you want them to listen when you tell them, you have to earn the right to be heard." All right. Here's what he goes on to say: is the right to be heard. Learn about someone's needs and hurts, and lay a foundation. And how do you do that? Well, go down to that next paragraph. He answers this question: that second sentence in that first full paragraph left column you do this by letting them know who you are all right we start with it doesn't mean you walk in a room and go hey everybody i'm a christian all right they're going to think you're weird really quick all right and they're probably going to be running for the different thing, a point all right but in the passing of time you do that asking them lots of questions and being an attentive listener. now that doesn't mean you're doing the creepy thing either all right we're asking questions to understand them to get to know them but we are taking time to listen And the way that they know that we are listening is how do we respond in the days and weeks and months that follow when things come up in their lives that they find you were listening. And I don't mean listening like creepy listening, but listening like you cared because I told you about something and you remembered that. You remembered that has gone on in my life. Because here's what he goes on to say. If you look down the next sentence after that, it says this is the stage, and this is talking about the cultivating this is the stage that takes the most time, the most patience, and the most love. Why? Because it's messy, it's time-consuming, and it can be very frustrating. And we don't like messy, frustrating, and time-consuming. We like really neat, nifty boxes that go really quick, and we go click, microwave dinner, done. Christian, done. All right? And, and that's how we want to process it, whereas it's not that way. It's gonna take time, and it's gonna take time for us to show that we care. And showing that we care is most often in measured in time, time and attentiveness. You want to find, you want to feel like somebody cares about you. You find someone who takes time with you and listens to you, and not just listens like "what's up with you," but responds to you. Then you're caring, Phyllis?
1: Um. Just. A note on um, how how uh, it came to the night that I got saved. Uh, it was because my older sister had paid attention to who I was as a person. She knew that I had taken Russian language in high school. She waited for a time when there was a, a missions conference at her church. There was a guy from Russia, evangelist, speaking that night. She knew he was going to present the gospel, but she Deliberately
0: invited me to that particular evening because she knew something about me. Yeah. Very neat. And that's exactly it. It could be something as simple as that that we listen to that we took them that, that opportunity to take them to that moment. Now, does that mean it's always going to work? No. What? Remember, we are sowing, watering, fertilizing, cultivating, hoping that someday there will be a reap. And here's they give top 10 tips. I think it's really, really helpful. I mean, obviously we can go to number 10, expect results. But number nine, walking back, says be patient. It's a low-pressure, long-range process. Notice it says a low pressure, not a high pressure. That means if we have pressure when we share the gospel, it's because we put it there. Now, that doesn't mean we should be so laid back to a fault, but it does mean we don't get all angst about it because we think, "I'm I'm not doing it right. It's not working right. It's, it's God, and we do what we need to do. But how do we do that? Go back to number one and two. Cultivate your relationship with God first and always. It doesn't say learn how to share the gospel. It doesn't say go out and make a lot of unsafe friends. It does say you got to get number one right. If you don't get number one right, the other ones are going to start crumbling along the way. And on top of that, if you're going to reach out to those people, you first reach up to God, number two, for them so that he opens the door. That's Colossians that we've been hitting over and over and over. He opens the door. He helps you to have a clear word. And then, number four, look for opportunities to serve. And I, I just hit a few of these. Look for opportunities to serve, but part of what Jill said earlier, look for opportunities to serve in the church, but also outside the church. And, and we, all, we, admittedly, our gifts biblically are primarily for ministry inside the body of Christ that doesn't mean when we walk outside the church it's just like, you know, forget the rest of y'all sinners, because I'm just using this in the church Um, No, there was a time historically, as I said until the government kind of took over this role where the church was what society leaned on to get through all kinds of things The church was the one who, when the community had problems, when there was a major flood in a small city in Pennsylvania, the church was the one that stepped up to help people. When there was a fire that ravaged a number of homes, it was the church that did that. Now the church is viewed as the grabbers. We're the ones grabbing all their money, and the government helps out. So we look for opportunities to serve even outside our church. All right, now, that being said, I'm going to just jump through this. Oh, wow, it can go off. Sorry. I did say it, no joke I was waiting for it to go up. It, it probably, but usually it goes up. I thought, whatever Alright, so I'm going to wrap up with this, done Harvesting the fruit This is, I'm just going to stop with this tonight And we'll close in a word of prayer Number 3, phase 3 on 3.8 Harvesting the fruit The fruit. It is, admittedly, when we said Reaping is the most noteworthy And it's the best chance In a sense for kudos now, hopefully we're not looking for kudos. But obviously, that's what makes us feel a little bit better about we're doing this right. And yet, I, I love this statement, and I'll end with this. If you go down to the, in that paragraph under harvesting the fruit, go down to the last paragraph, right up before it, says Karen says. There's a paragraph above that that says, but don't lose focus. You see that? Oh, matter of fact, i put it on here, so let's just throw it up here. Boom, 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 boom. boom. Here's what it says. Harvesting the fruit is still just one step in the process and you won't get a better zip code in heaven for your part in it. In other words, we have often thought that, and that is the people who are winning people to Christ, they are the reapers in the moment. They are the ones that, you know, when they get to heaven, they got all the crowns, they got all, you know, they got the they're in the nice neighborhood in heaven. You know, that is just not the truth, because that's what scripture is saying. We are in this together. It has no bearing on a relationship with God. It has no bearing on our place in heaven. It has everything to do with the glory of God through us being involved in the process. All right. I don't hear anybody else out, so I guess we can keep going. Now let's pray. We'll be done. Father, thank you for our time together tonight. I thank you that someone was patient with us. Someone reached out to us. Maybe many someones reached out to us and shared faith their faith in Christ with us and Lord maybe you even as we've sat in this class uh, put in our mind somebody that we need to at least pray for somebody that we need to at least look for opportunities to serve to care for to reach out for somebody that fits in that category that is the not so wise not so powerful not so mighty not so rich kind of person uh, the kinds that are part of what the gospel is all about so God as we go from our class tonight i pray that we might go just a step motivated uh, more in our lives to be praying seeking and seizing the opportunities we pray in christ's name Amen. all right please don't forget you stop and get your half sheet homework and did you already sign all the names check thank you very
1: much.